Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. Uh, so glad you're with us. My name is Bryant Lee Pastor here. If you're joining us online, I'm so glad you're with us, listening via unfiltered radio all over the state, uh, watching. Uh, we're in the final part of the series, and I just want to uh, not like say everything Justin said, but I just want to reiterate one more time as we head into next week. It's such a massive weekend, and Spring Fling, we're putting a ton into that. I think every CCer should serve, honestly, be here, invite somebody. But I just want to encourage you, like this is not a weekend, which oftentimes we think of it as a weekend to just huddle up and celebrate. It's a weekend to share what has, for many of us, impacted our life in a significant way. And we talk a lot about an alternative to church as usual. For many of you, your invite is going to be the catalyst to somebody experiencing that and everything changing. And so I think, honestly, we have the responsibility as followers of Jesus that are for our city. Um, don't just come together to sing and lift your hands and go, it's amazing, I'm glad I know Jesus. Like this is our opportunity to share with somebody else. And so let's come strong next weekend. Um, and then after Easter, I just wanna start giving you a heads up. I start another brand new series called Hope in the Dark. Um, how do you maintain faith? How do you find faith when life is really hard? And part of this series, I actually took right from our top Google searches that lead people to our site. Um, and it's really interesting stuff. And so I said, I need to do a whole series on this because these are the questions I get more than any other questions. So Hope in the Dark starts right after Easter. It's a great time to invite. So with that, are you guys ready to roll into part three of Runaway? Thank you. Thank you. Um, I, and I just want to say this last week, incredible. Um, if you weren't here, I, I don't end services this way often, but I gave a chance for people to respond and to see so many people respond in all of our services, to see so many men um, stand, stand up in that moment to say, I want to surrender and stop running. And the stories I heard, absolutely incredible. I, why I love our church. Um, just one of my all-time favorite Sundays. Today, I want to land the plane, though, on this series, and if you haven't been here, I, this is the really quick uh, recap, but the series obviously has been all about running, and all of us, when life doesn't go as planned, sometimes we run, and we run in different ways. We run financially, we run, run relationally, we run maybe in terms of a career or something that we feel like God has for us, and we just resist, and we're not going to do it, and we don't run physically, though sometimes we do. Like There's certain people, you left a city because in some ways you were running away from something, you unenrolled and went somewhere else, or you changed careers. And if you were to really be honest about some of the reasoning, like you were kind of running. Um, others of us, we grew up with some kind of version of faith and we've just left it behind and we don't really have any good reasons. Others of us, as I've said, the reasons are honestly, um, our decisions at one point in our life didn't match our theology. So we decided to go get new theology and we decided like there is no God. And then we went and found intellectual reasons to try to support that. But if we were really honest, our issues are not apologetical intellectual arguments there. I didn't want to do it. I was tired of behaving that way. And so I just found something new that would allow me to pursue what I wanted to pursue in this season of my life. And if I were honest, in some ways, I'm kind of running from God. 
Or, or like you're in that place where it's just, there's a hard no on the table where you know God's prompting you to say yes, to stop, to back out of that, to begin to pursue, to, to let go of this thing you've been holding onto, and you just won't do it. And behind some of those layers is this feeling of like, maybe I'm missing out or maybe God's holding out and maybe you haven't abandoned faith completely, but there's just this idea of like, I'm just running from God. I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna say yes to that in this season of my life. And so in this series, here's two things that we have discovered. Um, If you haven't been here and if not, you can go back, Center Point Church, Florida app, listen or watch it. But here's the two things we've discovered. You can run from God, but ultimately you can't really outrun God. And God's never gonna force his way on you. That's what I love about relationship with God. There's a certain point where he'll relent to go, okay, like if this is what you want, I'm gonna give it to you. But he's gonna do everything he possibly can to sync us up with the will and the rhythm of what he has for our life. And then the second thing we discovered this last week is is that God is extravagant with his grace. Meaning it is over the top and it is always disproportional to how far you've run or what you've done. God is extravagant with his grace, but he's also thorough in his discipline. Meaning God's after us not to pay us back, but God, like a perfect heavenly father, which may not be a good analogy for you because you had some really bad experiences with a father or whoever raised you. But if you could imagine a perfect heavenly father who desires to not pay us back, to win us back or to take us back, and God will do anything that he can as an expression of his extravagant grace and love to move us to the place that he has for our life. So in this series, we're looking at the most infamous runner of all time, Jonah. And I've said this um, throughout the series, so I'm not gonna recap it. I think there's several compelling reasons why you should take Jonah seriously. I get if you're still trying to figure out faith, immediately you think of maybe what you grew up with or you heard about the story because you never grew up in church about a guy being swallowed by a whale and it sounds ridiculous and it's why Christians are anti-intellectual and all the, I get why you would think that way. So there's some really compelling reasons that I'm not gonna recap, go back and listen to the first two messages, but here's what I would say that I've said throughout this series. Just treat it like your favorite Netflix series or movie or a book you read that you knew was fictional, but it actually inspired you to make real change. You know what I'm talking about? So if you're not there yet, that's fine. I I hope that you won't miss what you might get from this even over the next few minutes. And so just just treat it as a, a really good series that you don't think is true, but actually inspired change. But here's what I believe is that Jonah's story in a lot of ways is kind of our story. God comes to Jonah. He's like, you're my prophet. You're my messenger to people. I want you to go down to a group of people known as the Ninevites in Assyria in about 750 BC. And I want you to preach to them. And immediately Jonah is unbelievably uncomfortable for a lot of reasons. Part of it is because he viewed everything through kind of domestic political lens that was all about the nation of Israel. It created enemies of everybody else. And so they were foreigners. They were on the outside. It went against everything that Jonah held to. Quite frankly, he didn't like them. And so he's like, I'm not leaving my comfortable city and neighborhood and going down to the Ninevites. It's crazy. Those Assyrians have perfected the art of skinning people alive not going there. And so he goes southwest in the complete opposite direction down through Tarshish to, um, or Joppa to Tarshish, which is like modern day Spain. And he goes in the complete opposite direction of where God wants him to go. Like he gets God's invitation. He's like, thank you for considering me for this. I will pass. I'm not going down there. That's not a good career move for me. And so Jonah goes on the run and eventually God kind of tracks him down. But this is where the story kind of takes a twist because What you find as you get toward the end of the book of Jonah is the whole book was never really meant to be written to runners or rebels. 
which is generally what you think. And we titled it Runaway. So, but it's not really to runners or rebels. And when you get toward the end of the book of Jonah, what's really fascinating to me and really interesting is the whole book was actually written to really good religious people. In fact, the entire thing is framed around that. And in fact, here's what I tell you, because we have so many people who are investigating, trying to figure out faith. If you've had issues with judgmental Christians, I'm going to confirm all of your suspicions today. So this is an amazing time to listen, to watch, to be in the house, because really it is the book of Jonah. And here's the point, like in a nutshell. The issue with Jonah is that he had surrendered to what I would call the moral will of God. Like he was all about, I'm gonna behave the right way. I'm gonna make the right decisions. I'm gonna do the right things. He had surrendered to the behavioral kind of moral will of God. He had never surrendered to the purposes of God in his generation. He had never surrendered to what God ultimately wanted for him. And, and this is just kind of newsflash in case you fall asleep or have to leave early because this is where I'm gonna go in a few minutes. The quickest way to become judgmental and pharisaical and arrogant and impossible for anybody to be around you is to surrender to God's moral behavioral will and be all about being a good Christian, but never surrender to God's purposes in your generation. I'm telling you, following Jesus will become miserable and other people will be miserable being around you. And it's one of the things, and I feel so personal about this that I might go a little hard today to end this series, but it's why in so many cases, the church, maybe even increasingly so in the West right now, has been so marginalized in the culture. And it's Jonah's story in a lot of ways, because I'm gonna put up a mirror for all of us, it's, it's a lot of our stories. And so here's in Jonah chapter three, verse one, it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, go to the great city of Nineveh, proclaim a message that I give you, and then Jonah obeyed, as we said, I bet he did, because after you get swallowed by a fish and spit up on dry land, you're like, I surrender, I'll go. So he obeyed the word of the Lord, and he went to Nineveh, which is like, you know, by land, like 550 miles. And basically, he went to Nineveh, as I said, a foreign city, all of them were enemies, and, and basically, God's assignment was, I want you to go down to these people, I want you to preach to them, and I know they're crazy. I know they're outside of your comfort zone. I know they don't look like you. You don't even have the same skin shades. I know that they, they follow different gods or they don't even follow God. I get all of the ways that you're nervous, Jonah. I want you to go down there, I want you to preach. And, and in 40 days, if they haven't responded, then I'm gonna send a conquering nation. And so now Nineveh was a very important city and a visit required three days. And so verse five, the Ninevites, nobody saw this coming. Like people at 750 BC who knew the Ninevites, who rolled through town, who saw what went on in their city, who heard about them, nobody expected this. The Ninevites believed God. Like Jonah came, Jonah preached because, you know, he really had no other options at that point. Jonah went into the city and he began to proclaim exactly what God wanted him to proclaim. And lo and behold, the people of Nineveh began to respond in fact, they declared a fast, which was like nationwide. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth, which is basically like a sign of mourning or repentance, or we, we've changed our mind and we're gonna, we're gonna change our life. And when the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. Again, is this sign of like repentance and God's got our attention and what do you want? But like, we're here for it and we surrender to you and we're gonna do whatever you want us to do. 
and literally a national movement breaks out among the Ninevites in Assyria where people, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of people begin to respond, begin to openly and publicly repent and nobody saw it coming. Now, one of the questions I always ask is like, what readied the people for this? Because again, it's such a Bible story of like these people who are skinning people alive and then they're like, yes, we're gonna follow God. Like that's a, that's a quick right turn. Like, how do you get there? And I think probably a couple of things contributed to this. God had gotten the Ninevites' attention. I think before Jonah even got there, there was three tribes around this time, 750 BC, which again, gives this story credibility because it's anchored to history. There's dates, there's addresses, there's context. But there were about three tribes that were actually threatening the city of Nineveh around this time. There had also been several plagues that had broken out in Nineveh. And like a lot of us do, like when stuff starts to happen, they're asking the question, like, is somebody trying to get our attention? If there's a God, is, you know, is God trying to do something here? And then the other thing is there had been recently a total solar eclipse of the sun. And especially in their culture, which they didn't fully understand things, they're like, I think God's trying to get our attention. And if there is a God, we should pay attention. And so all of this had just happened. And then this crazy dude shows up with seaweed all over him and he's fearless and he just begins to preach out of his mind, doesn't care what they might do to him. And they just believe this guy's gotta be from God. Like, I mean, imagine the scene. Like Jonah's not looking his best. He's showing up and he is just absolutely fearless. And he doesn't look like them. He doesn't talk like them. He doesn't understand their customs or their land or any of their culture. And the people hear it and they begin to respond. And in verse eight, the king said, let everyone call urgently on God and let them give up their evil ways and their violence. And who knows, God may relent and with compassion Turn from his fierce anger. And in this context, the fierce anger is toward the incredible injustice that the Ninevites were a part of so that we won't perish. And then verse 10, when God saw that they did and how they had turned from their evil ways, I love this. This is something we miss so much in the Old Testament. I wish I had like another several weeks to just unpack all of this because we, in many cases, don't know how to interpret it in light of the New Testament, but he had compassion and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. And at that point, you're like, credits should roll. The music should play. That's an amazing end of the story. Like, I mean, there's the drama, there's the whole fish deal, there's Jonah, he gets eaten, he comes back, God gets his attention, he surrenders, he goes to the Ninevites, and against all odds, these people respond and actually surrender their lives to God. Amazing. If it was a Hallmark movie, end it right there. That is, like, that's how you want to shut it down. And yeah, the story doesn't end there. Because this is the part where you actually understand why Jonah was running in the first place. And Jonah wasn't running because he was afraid of what the Ninevites would do to him. Jonah was afraid of what God would do for the Ninevites. And Jonah was so entrenched in his cultural version of God and it's about our nation and it's about our way of life and it's about what God's gonna do through Israel and everybody else is the enemy and everybody else threatens our way of life and everybody else is against us. 
And Jonah operated his entire life from that lens. And so literally his resistance to go to the Ninevites was God might be compassionate to those people. See, I think this is the insidious side of what a lot of evangelicalism can move toward where it becomes about us and it becomes about our thing and we believe the right things and we behave the right ways and we create enemies about anybody who disagrees with us and Christianity becomes a cultural form of fighting the culture and fighting for our way of life and Christianizing everything and then creating an us versus them. And so you end up creating a lot of issues where you boycott stuff and you politicize stuff and you get really amazing at making points inside of your homogenous little insulary environments while you point fingers at the rest of the world, but all the while you're making points and never making a difference. And Jonah, Jonah knew God. And Jonah knew how God was gonna respond. And that was actually the issue. Because Jonah was so bent on fighting, he wasn't really that interested in praying for. And Jonah was so bent on protecting what he believed God was gonna do through the nation of Israel, he couldn't even stomach the fact that the Ninevites, and the reason he was sent to the Ninevites is because God loved these people. And so in this strange twist that honestly like mirrors us in so many ways, Jonah was greatly displeased, Jonah 4.1, and he became angry because he's angry that God would honor the repentance of the Ninevites. Because everybody wants justice for somebody else. And so he prayed to the Lord, Lord, this is not what I, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee Tarshish. Basically Jonah's like, dang it, I knew you were gonna forgive these people. I knew you were going to be compassionate to these people. I knew you were going to move in the direction of these people. Like it is, it, is, it is possible to get to a place where we are so hiding behind our legalistic behavioral modification version of Christianity that I'm not even sure we want to reach the people on the outside of us. I think for some of us in evangelicalism, we have gotten so accustomed that there has to be a fight and we have to be angry at something that we would rather do that than move in the direction of people who are nothing like us that we do not understand, that we think threatens our way of life. And instead of modeling the grace, compassion, and love of Jesus, we would rather fight things rather than link up with the movement of the spirit of God in our generation to reach people like the Ninevites that God loves. He's like, I knew, I knew it. I knew that you are gracious. I love this. This is an Old Testament prophet 2,750 years ago. This is what he knew about our heavenly father. You are gracious and compassionate and you are slow to anger and you are abounding in love. And you're a God who relents from sending calamity. Basically, God, I know you're compassionate. I know you're gracious. That's kind of the problem. And if you ever wonder of how extravagant God's grace is, how extravagant God's love is, how far it'll go depending on how far you've run, like this is the verse for you. And this is the whole reason that Jonah's bothered. 
This is the whole reason that Jonah's angry because Jonah loves appropriating this to himself. He hates the idea of appropriating this truth to the Ninevites. The Lord, take away my life for it is better for me to die than to live because you are gracious and compassionate. You are slow to anger. You are abounding in love. You relent from sending calamity and I just can't handle it as it relates to these people. And here's the problem. Jonah had surrendered to kind of the behavioral, moral, I'm gonna make the right decisions. I'm gonna do the right things. I'm gonna try to follow God. I'm gonna try to be good. Jonah had surrendered to the moral will of God. He had not surrendered to the purposes of God in his generation. You wanna know the quickest way to become judgmental? It's to be a really good Christian. It's to behave all the right ways. It's to do all the right things. It's to try to make all the right decisions but never surrendering to God's purposes to reach people who are not as good as you are. Can, I, can we just say this real quick? This, I don't know how this message is gonna end. I'll just tell you, we'll find out. <laughs> I built a lot of freedom into my nose because I wasn't sure how I wanted to land this plane. And this may be your last Sunday at Centerpoint. It's been great having you. <laughs> like, can, can we just remove the illusion of you being the good Christian and you have any reason to look down on anybody else? Like how offensive is that to the grace of God? Now like, like me, maybe you, you've placed your faith and trust in Christ and you've been redeemed and you've been made alive and God's forgiven and God's done something in your heart. Apart from Jesus, we're nothing. And to think, and I, this is what I still don't understand about some of our cultural Christianity, to think that we ever have the ability to put ourselves on a platform to feel any kind of superiority over any other people group is astonishing to me. And to create a version of Christianity where we always have to be angry and we always have to fight for something and fight for what, our way, our rights, our whatever, to, to Get to a place where it's us versus them is to end up in a place where maybe we're compassionate at certain levels, but a lot of times we lose compassion and we lose our sense of gratitude for the grace and the love and the goodness of God and the fact that if it wasn't for that grace, we would have no standing whatsoever. And now it is our sole responsibility based on the authority of the New Testament and looking at the life of Jesus is to be a dispenser of that love and that grace to other people, recognizing there is Jesus and there is everybody else. And we have no reason to stand on some platform of superiority against anybody else. And when you get to that place in terms of your Christian journey, it becomes all about you. I think it's a lot of times why the church in our culture has been so marginalized. You know what's really crazy? This is a side note. In the next few years, 72% of Christians in the world will be located outside of the Western United States, outside of the West. God's doing his thing all over the world. But I'm telling you the areas where like Jonah, who was leaving Israel to go to the Ninevites, where we become so comfortable and it becomes so much about us and we're a bunch of moral people who've never surrendered 
I think not only does that not, is that not helpful, I think it becomes dangerous because we become in all of our goodness, we literally become obstacles to the grace and the love of God to other people in our generation. So I just wanna ask this question, this is one of the big questions. Have you ever surrendered to the purposes of God? Like legit, have you ever surrendered to the purposes of God to go, I want to be a part of what God is doing in the culture in my generation. I wanna move toward the messes. I wanna make sure that I get myself down off of the platform to recognize if it's not for the grace and the love of God, I have nothing. And now I'm a dispenser of that love and that grace to everybody. Because as I look at the life of Jesus in the New Testament, he was a barrier breaker. He was tearing down walls over and over and over again and inviting people to follow him and liking people who, who were nothing like him and they liked him. And over and over again, he opened wide the invitation. This is a gospel. This is good news for all people. And I want to sync up with what God is doing in my generation. I'm going to tear down barriers. I'm going to tear down walls. I'm going to move toward the marginalized. I'm going to love the hurting. I'm going to recognize that I have not been called to an insulary little environment to do all of the right things and then create an us and them mentality. That is not the gospel. And if the church would do that, the church would not be marginalized in the culture and the message of the gospel would become almost irresistible. Because someone, for a lot of you, lived that out and had compassion toward you, exhibited grace toward you, and it attracted you to the message of Jesus. Why wouldn't you do that for somebody else? Why Why wouldn't we live that for somebody else? Why wouldn't we be that kind of church for other people in our city, in our community? And so God asked Jonah this question in verse four. But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? I love this question. Jonah, are you serious? (laughs) Do you know where you just came from? In fact, get that seaweed off your head. Like you still have seaweed on you. Are you serious? And then Jonah didn't answer for good reason. In verse five, Jonah went out and sat down in a place east of the city, basically throws a fit. And there he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Hoping against hope (laughs) that God wouldn't do what he thought God would do. And that maybe this would be what so many others, you know, kind of link God to in the Old Testament is he would rain down some fire and brimstone. He would go Sodom and Gomorrah on them. And so Jonah's just there waiting and he's mad, and the, honestly, the story's hilarious. It wasn't as hilarious for Jonah, but this gourd grew up. You have to read this for yourself. And then a worm comes and starts to destroy the gourd. And then a wind comes and knocks it down, and Jonah's in like 110 degree heat. And the gourd was his source of shade. He was pretty comfortable there, and he's just out there with a, I don't know, a drink with an umbrella in it, just waiting to see what's gonna happen to Nineveh. The gourd goes away, and Jonah is angry. He is ticked off, he is hot, his gourd is gone. And here's where the mirror comes up for all of us. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? And Jonah's like, I do. That's exactly how he said it. I am angry enough to die. (laughs) Meaning his prime concern is the gourd. His prime concern is he doesn't have shade anymore. 
He's not comfortable. And the Lord said, you have been concerned, in in essence, compassionate. You've been so hyper-focused from the very beginning when I came to you the first time when you were gonna have to leave your city, go to people who were not your people, go to a place that was uncomfortable, move in the direction of the mess. The moment, Jonah, I came to you and asked you to do that, from that moment, you have been so concerned about your own comfort. And you're so compassionate, consumed about this vine that you didn't tend to and you didn't make it grow. And it sprang up overnight and then it died overnight. And then this is. This is the part that gets me. But Jonah, Nineveh has more than 120,000 people. And you spend zero time caring for any of them. Yo, Jonah, 120,000 people. And they don't know their right hand from their left hand. And they've never been introduced to me. And they had no idea of my grace and compassion. And yes, their behavior is off the rails, but what do you expect? And so many of them are lost and they are hopeless, and they are looking for a way forward, and there's 120,000 of them. They can't tell the right hand from their left, and then I don't know why this, and many cattle as well. God's just like, I care about the animals too, if you're wondering. (laughs) Jonah, should I not be concerned? about that great city? No, I'm just asking you, Jonah. Should I not be concerned about that? Should I not be concerned about them? You've been so consumed with everything else. And there's 120,000 people that are gonna spend eternity somewhere. Jonah, I I care about those people. So here's where I just, I want to land this plane. We'll be done. I don't really know how I'm going to land it. We'll see. Basically, in essence, this was God's words to Jonah. You're so good. You attend a church, memorize stuff. You know about God. You were the guy back in Israel. People loved you. You were comfortable. Everybody looked like you. Everybody talked like you. Everybody behaved like you. It was, it was good. You're, you're good, Jonah. But you're concerned about all the wrong things. And I think one of the things that we could really get honest in this, and I love the local church. I love Jesus. And honestly, I think I'm in a season where like God's just, anchored in my heart to even a deeper degree that on mission, I love the local church. Spend the rest of my life trying to build it. But I think some of the words to us sometimes would be, you're good, congratulations. 
but you're concerned about all the wrong things. I think God would say, I, I'm concerned about this generation of people. Hey, Jonah, I'm concerned about this generation of people. What are you concerned about? Hey, Bryant, I'm concerned about this generation of people. What are you concerned about? What are you passionate about? What do you talk about? What lights you up? What keeps you up at night? I'm concerned about the 60,000 plus, and it's really more than that, but when we started the church, I hung a big sign in my office that said 60,000. I put it on the opposite wall because that was the approximate number of unchurched, de-churched, people who didn't know Jesus within a few mile radius of our church. And I put it there so that I would never lose sight that that's what we were after. That we wouldn't sin the sin of Jonah. And I think, I think God's heart would be... I'm concerned about this generation of people. What are you concerned about? I'm concerned about the lady that's two cubicles down. Do you care about her? I'm concerned about the neighbor that you've never walked over to because they have a different flag hanging outside of their their house that identifies them with a different political party. I'm concerned about them. Have you ever walked down there? I'm concerned about the person that has a different lifestyle than you and you just don't understand them and so you've written them off and you'd rather pray for them at a distance rather than be their friend. Concerned about this generation of people. Concerned about your coworker. Your brother-in-law that 20 something that you came in contact with and you have no idea that that's somebody else's prodigal son and they need you. I'm concerned about the broken. I'm concerned about the single mom. I'm concerned about the individual who's knee deep in addiction. I'm concerned about the, the hypocritical, judgmental Christian that needs to understand the grace and love of Jesus. I'm, I'm concerned about them too. I'm concerned about the individual that just cannot find their way forward and their knee deep in mental illness and depression and anxiety. I care about this generation of people. What are you concerned about? And then I think the other question is this, what makes you angry? Because what makes you angry, the emotion that is associated with that a lot of times reveals what you care about the most. And I think the question to Jonah and the question that we can answer, what are you angry about? Jonah's like, uh, my comfort, me, my ease of life, being ticked off that you ever sent me here in the first place and you destroyed my gourd. And I think for a lot of us, if we were to be honest, what are you angry about? I'm angry about when I'm uncomfortable, when it's not about me, when I'm moved out of my comfort zone. And so I I just, I'm gonna start to end end it with this. I, I just, I want to ask you this question as we get ready to end this series. What are you concerned about? Like for real, what are you concerned about? What do you talk about? What do you pray about? What do you think about? Like what, what consumes you at certain, like what, what are you concerned about? And my temptation was just to end right there and go like, let's pray or give an invitation, whatever. But that would be unfair because there are so many people in our gathering that get this. And I just want to acknowledge people that, people that just came to my mind that I didn't ask their permission, but I just call them out anyway. People like um, Alice and Andy Johnson who lead a small group of young adults 
and sacrifice their time and just invest and invest and invest and invest. People like Kevin Gonzalez or um, Kevin Davis, who week after week, I mean, week after week, make fools of themselves. And I mean that with all love. And they create these amazing environments for kids. Crystal Hendricks, who serves in small groups and takes care of kids and nobody probably even knows and there's no fanfare. And yet she invests week after week after week because she cares about the next generation. Or Gus, who began serving almost when we started the churches, probably missed a handful of services in, I don't know, 10 years and has just loved people out of his mind. Other people that nobody knows about. Roderick Tillman, a really good friend of mine that came right after a cancer battle. And at the time that he came, we had a vision for the future and there, there wasn't a lot of diversity. He came to go like, I wanna be a part of this. I wanna help build this. And that dude has been faithful week after week, investing in what God wants to do. What, what are you concerned about? And so many of you have gone beyond that comfortable little place where I'm just going to create cultural Christianity and I'm going to fight and I'm going to make sure we take back the culture and I'm going to create enemies out of anybody who disagrees and I'm going to politicize and I'm going to make a point, but I'm not going to worry about making a difference. And then I'm going to pray for my kids that they get a job and they get into school and they get a good day. And then God bless me and God protects me and God blesses us and God protects us and God blesses us and God, are you serious? And it's the only thing we pray about. Good schools, better house, better job, lower gas prices. God, deal with those people on the outside who hate you. Gather together in a homogenous little units where everybody thinks, acts, looks, and just is all this carbon copy. And we never think about the people on the outside that God is so concerned about, who loves so much. And a bunch of you who've gone way beyond that and you have sacrificed financially. You have given your lives. You give away in ways that people will never ever see because you care about about this generation of people. So as we end, what are you concerned about? What do you pray about? What do you think about? Where do your conversations go? Are we moving in any directions where we are moving full on toward the messes and it's gonna be uncomfortable and you're gonna invite people over to your home you've never invited over to your home before and people are gonna misunderstand you and they're gonna start to move toward guilt by association, which Jesus never cared about, by the way, but you're just gonna be missional in your community to move toward the people that God loves in our generation. What are you concerned about? Because as we, we close, here's what I also say. Not all of us are that concerned about it. And so many of us give so much, but there's a group of us where we're at some level, we're grateful and thank you, God. And we pray some prayers. But if you were to look at our lives, very little of our time, our attention, our conversation, our resources go on a month to month, year to year basis to intersecting with God's purposes in our generation. And I think in a lot of ways, that's why the church is so marginalized because we're good and we try to behave the right ways and we sing songs and we get in groups. But if you're outside the tax collector, the pimp, the prostitute in Jesus language, whatever that is today, we'll pray for you. We haven't done a lot to move in your direction. And we got to change that. So what, what are you concerned about? And what does that look like for you that we don't huddle up and become a bunch of good Christians who have never surrendered to the purposes of God in our generation? 
because it is the quickest way to become judgmental, pharisaical, hypocritical, arrogant, and be a barrier and an obstacle to God's grace in our culture. And I just have to end with this, but like, as I was, as I was preparing this message, I just, I just couldn't help but think about the people that come to my mind, the, the Lauren that I always tell the story about that, that really was a big part of birthing this church that started something in me to go, man, I'm gonna give my life to reaching people like her. A guy that I, I know really well that I got to meet after church, not meet, but talk with after church yesterday, and he just, uh, last week, and he just wept with me and told me a story. Like, I feel like that I've heard everything at this point in the church. Like, there's nothing I haven't heard. And then last week I gave that invitation. I heard stories and there were several where like, I've never heard that before. And my heart broke. And I went home, I told Nicole, I'm so broken. And then this weird simultaneous joy of, this is the kind of church we're trying to create. And I remember talking with somebody just knee deep and all kinds of crap. And I said, have you ever told anybody else this? And they said, no, which I already knew. And something just leapt up in my heart. I'm, I'm so glad that you came to your pastor in a lobby after church to tell your deepest, darkest secrets. Sometimes that gets really weird and you don't need to do that with me at Walmart. But in this point, in this context, it was appropriate. I said like, we're creating this church for you in mind. The people in places that they've struggled with identity and mental illness or sexual orientation or trying to find a place. I met a mom a few weeks ago with four adopted kids. She was kicked out of her church at 27. It's now 10 years later. A few weeks ago, she said, this is the first church that I found in these 10 years of still wanting to love and try to follow Jesus where I've actually felt accepted and welcome. And I cannot thank this church enough. I felt like this is, this is what we're doing. And then last, I just think this is the last thing. I think the thing that has been so crazy to me is like we read the stories of Jesus in the New Testament. We talk all about this. And I think it's amazing in theory. I think when the church begins to do it though, a lot of good Christians get really, really nervous. Like I've been so confused with the church at large, the moment you just begin to spread the net wide open and and everybody's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when they actually start showing up at your church and people start serving and getting into groups and it gets messy, and it's not what they'd ever experienced in church before. They, they suddenly go off the rails and get so unbelievably nervous. And I always just wanna go, isn't that the point of the church? You're like, well, what about sin? Yeah, what about sin? If you're in community or in relationship with somebody, like help a brother or sister out, but outside of intimate relationship, it's none of your business. And, and listen, it is progress at your pace, meaning there's some things that God will change in a human heart in four weeks. There's other things that'll take 40 years. And so our goal is to go, yeah, we're inviting you in. And yes, is Jesus calling you to something? Yes, but we also want you to just connect with Jesus and journey with him. And so we're gonna be uncomfortable. It's amazing to me that the, the sole kind of focus of Paul's preaching all throughout the New Testament was to create multi-ethnic, multicultural churches. I'm so amazed at how uncomfortable that makes us the moment we start empathizing with minority individuals and groups. And what has, in a large part, been a white evangelical movement in the United States to go, we have to move outside of what is comfortable for people of different sexual orientation and identity and race and ethnicity and struggling with things that we don't understand and coming from backgrounds we don't understand and still trying to figure out to go, this is the point of the local church and God can change a human heart long before he changes behavior and Jesus is the hope of the world. 
so as we close, I just want to encourage you to do something. I just want to encourage you to do something. And this, this is my promise for our church in this next season. I could not be more saturated with vision, more excited about what God's going to do. I, I think that what God has in the days and the years ahead, we're gonna turn a city upside down. I feel like we're just getting started with that. But my promise is this, I think that it requires, unlike what Jonah was willing to do, it requires everybody at certain points to be uncomfortable. And I think one of the amazing tragedies of the, of the church in this moment is to go try to find churches that just everybody looks like us. Everybody believes like us. Everybody thinks like us. Everybody behaves like us. And then the moment we get uncomfortable, we're like, I'm out. And we short circuit the deep discipleship work that God wants to do in our heart. You were not created to be comfortable all the time. You were created to be on mission. Our church was created to be on mission. So my only promise is this, we're gonna get a ton of stuff wrong as we already have, but hopefully at some point along the way, you're gonna be uncomfortable. And God's gonna move us together to the outside, to the messes and moving people in to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. So I just wanna, what do you need to do? Over this next week, this is a great time. It's a small step, step, but get 30 seconds of courage to invite that neighbor, invite that friend, invite a coworker. And that's just one part of it, but it may be the open door that God uses for you to influence their life, to have an amazing impact and what will change multi-generationally in them. And it takes 30 seconds of your courage. Others of you, you need to serve. Next Saturday is a great time. It's a small step, but you need to be doing something to intersect with what God is doing in our city, in our community, and what he wants to do to reach this generation of people. So what is it? And, and if we did, and if we kept ourselves from sinning the sin of Jonah, where we're just good, but we're not surrendered to the purposes of God, God might do for your family. God might do for our city. God might do for our neighborhood. What he did for Nineveh, that there might be a movement of God unlike we ever anticipated or we could have ever imagined. I believe that, that that is what God wants to do. I believe the church is still the hope of the world as it preaches Jesus, invites everybody in, and we're a part of that, and it's time for us to go. So as we end this service, I'm going to end it right there. I just want to encourage you, like if that's you, and there's, there's and I didn't tell any of our production team we're doing this, but we're just going to do it. But I wanna give another opportunity today as we end this. If this is you to go, man, there's just an area where I need to surrender to the purposes of God for my life, for my family. And what he's called me to do in this season to be the representative of Jesus in my community, in my city, to move toward the people that I previously hated, to open the door toward the people that I'm uncomfortable with, to wade into the messiness of gospel community. Like I just, God, I wanna surrender that. So as we end, I'm just gonna do the weird, strange thing that I did last week. If you're new, not sure about Jesus, you just stay in your seat. But it's legitimately, if that's you, and if it's not, just stay, stay where you're at. But God, I've gotta to respond to you. And there's an area where I need to surrender to your purposes. Would you just stand right, right now? We're gonna end. Would you just stand right now? Like there's some area, or it's just my life in general. God, in this moment, I'm surrendering to your purposes for my life, for my family in the city. Let me pray for you, Jesus. Thank you for what you're doing in this place, through this gathering, through these people. And I pray, as I prayed last week, that when we're willing to make public declarations, there is an act of humility that invites 
the power of the Spirit of God in a unique way. And so I'm praying for that in this moment. I pray that you would work in an incredible way in these individual lives and families and whatever else is affected. And I pray that you would give them the courage that can only come from your spirit to live out and to be what you have called them to be in our city, in our community. I pray for hundreds and hundreds of other people that are part of our church, that you would move in their heart, that you would make them uncomfortable until they cannot stand it anymore. And they would surrender to what you're calling them to surrender to in their life. And God, we would be the church and the individual followers of Jesus that you have called us to be in this season. And we're praying this and believing this in Jesus' incredible name, amen. Would you stand and would you celebrate those who've made decisions today? Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.